0: Okay, well I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and get started. First of all, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for choosing to be a part of this class, The Baptism of Jesus. Uh, My name is Brian Offit. Obviously you had a lot of choices today at the 9.30 Mm -hmm. or 9.45 class hour. And I really am honored, I'm humbled that you're here and that you would choose to be a part of what God wants to do in us and through us uh, as we convene together for the next 45-50 minutes or so. I want you to know that uh, I'm from Houston, Texas, been married for 25 years. I have three kids, two sons in college at Abilene Christian and a daughter that's a junior in high school. been in full-time ministry for 25 years. I'm currently the senior minister, preaching minister at the West Houston Church of Christ in Houston. You guys probably heard about Hurricane Harvey that came through back in August and turned our entire region of Southeast Texas and beyond uh, literally uh, upside down. So uh, thank you for your prayers and what many of you have done by way of support to help the people in Central and Southeast Texas. And let me just tell you, God is doing a mighty work there. This has created so many opportunities for us To minister, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the wake of such a horrific tragedy. Uh, But uh, God is doing good things. We are taking our church through the Gospel of Mark. And this series is called Exalting Christ in the Gospel of Mark. And what we're doing is we're just walking through the Gospel of Mark, making much of Jesus. Okay? And just verse by verse, I've Like I said, I've been doing this for a while, but we are loving, our church is loving this gospel. And I don't know if you have a favorite gospel. If you were to ask me uh, before January of this year what my favorite gospel was, I would have probably said John. okay? Because it's in John where I met Jesus, where I fell in love with Jesus and got to know Jesus personally on a personal, intimate level. But I will tell you, that the more that we make our way through Mark, the more that I'm finding how much I love about Mark, what I love about Mark. And here's, here's one thing I'll tell you. I, I believe that as believers, Christ has called us to be his disciples. Amen? Amen? And ultimately, what Christ is after is to see that we would become fully devoted followers of Jesus, of him. And discipleship in the Gospel of Mark is a huge theme. The word disciple occurs some 40 times. Mark is only 16 chapters long. 40 times there's the word disciple, and t- uh, 10 other times in addition to that, Mark uses the word the 12, okay, referencing the 12 apostles, but also standing as disciples. So if you combine those together, you've got 50 different times in 16 chapters this reference to discipleship. And so I'm fully convinced that Mark wants to teach us who Jesus is and wants us to draw us in to become fully devoted followers of His. And a few weeks ago, when we landed on this passage, the passage that we're going to study together this morning, the baptism of Jesus, it completely wrecked my world. I just, the Lord, you know how Scripture does this, right? You study Scripture and, and God just reveals new things to you every time you come back to it. And, and so I just want to share some of those things that I think are so powerful about the baptism of Jesus. And here's the big idea, okay? This is where we're going. I'm going to give you the whole sermon in one sentence up front, and then we'll come back to this at the end. And here's the clincher for all of us today. What's true for Jesus at His baptism is also true For me and you. What's true for Jesus at his baptism is also true for me and you. And I am so convinced as disciples who make much of Jesus, this is what Mark wants us to understand. So let's begin with prayer, and then I'll invite you to open to Mark chapter one. Father God, we thank you for this morning, and I thank you for every individual that's here for the families, for the lives they represent, God. Most of all, we're here this morning to make much of Jesus. And I pray, God, that You would pour forth through me the gift of teaching so that You would be glorified and that You would be made known in this place. God, teach us. Open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears. May my words become Your words, Jesus. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 1, and here's what I want to do. I want to quickly cover the first nine verses, Okay, the first eight verses, and because the first eight verses really set up the context for us, all right? So if you have your Bible, I don't have verses one through eight on the screen, but if you like to underline in your Bible, let me just, let me just encourage you to circle or to underline the word baptism every time it appears in the first nine verses. Because okay, this is going to be the question. I'm going to ask you, how many times do you see it? Just make note of it. All right, here we go. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now, as you know, Mark doesn't open his gospel as some of the others do. There is no birth narrative. There's no Mary, there's no Joseph, there's no angels, there's no miraculous birth. Instead, he goes straight for the ministry of John the Baptist. And let me tell you why I think Mark is doing this, because it's going to come up later as we look specifically at the baptism of Jesus. The reason Mark begins his gospel this way, I believe, is because he wants us to know that John the Baptist's ministry is a fulfillment of prophecy. That John the Baptist's ministry is a fulfillment of prophecy. So there's about three different scripture references taking place here in, in what we've already read. Um, and, and, and all of which Mark is doing is to say John the Baptist was foretold and was, was prophesied and here he is. The reason that's important is because there's going to be a connection to the baptism of Jesus in a few minutes, okay? But just make a note of that. Here we go, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I want to do my best to connect the baptism of Jesus. What's true for Jesus is also true for you and me. To also to our theme and what we're doing here this week, and we're talking about the Spirit of the Lord, right? The Holy Spirit, being a people of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now let me stop right there. How many of you counted? How many times did you see the word baptism in your text? I
1: saw six.
0: I got six. Baptized, baptism, I, I, maybe I miscounted, but, the, but what I came up with was six. And here's why I think that's important. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, from the very beginning of our Christian faith, baptism has always been a big deal. It's always been a big deal. And so for someone to minimize the importance of baptism in my opinion, completely misunderstands the role and the meaning and the purpose it was meant to play from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. All right, verses, let's look at this passage now that we're going to spend the majority of our time focusing on. Verse 9, now verse 10. As Jesus, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now, if you circle back to verse 9, we see that John, Jesus comes to be baptized. And I think maybe perhaps the most important question that we can ask this morning is, why... Was Jesus baptized? Right? Why was Jesus baptized? I really, I want, I want you to think about this, okay? Because I think it's easy to say. What I heard most all my life, growing up in the churches of Christ, was that Jesus was baptized as an example for you and I to follow. And and I think at the most basic level, I think that's certainly true. I think that's one answer. But I think there's a whole lot more going on at the baptism of Jesus than Jesus merely giving us an example as disciples that we should follow. And what makes this interesting is that John is preaching a baptism of repentance. Mm -hmm. And people, I don't know if you saw it earlier, are coming out of the woodworks. They're going out to the Jordan River. I mean, this is, this is like a three-hour walk, okay, to go out to the Jordan. People are walking out, and they're confessing their sins. And they're repenting of their sins. And Jesus comes out and says, I'm here to be baptized. And obviously, obviously, we know, that Jesus isn't there to confess sins and or to repent, right? We, the, the scripture's very clear about that, so we know that's not why he's doing it. And if it's more than just an example for us to follow, I'm wrestling with the question, so then why? And let me give you three things that I think, three reasons why there's probably more, and undoubtedly there's more, but the three that I came up with in terms of why Jesus is doing this, in addition to giving us an example to follow, is this, number one... He's doing it as a way to validate the ministry of John John the Baptist. Okay? Because to understand what John the Baptist is doing, John the Baptist is saying, After me comes one more powerful than I, of whose sandals I am not fit to carry, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, And Jesus is submitting himself to John's baptism as a way of validating John the Baptist's ministry. Because what John the Baptist and what John's testimony is uh, about Jesus is going to be critical, not only at this juncture, but also you know, throughout the gospel, throughout the ministry of Jesus altogether. Number two, I think Jesus is doing this to identify with humanity. All right, This is Jesus' way of identifying with humanity. Think about the kinds of people that are coming out to be baptized. These are tax collectors. Prostitutes. Thieves. Liars. I mean, these are drunks. These are people that represent sin and shame. And symbolically, the Jordan River, of course, is just full of sin, and Jesus steps in. The Son of God steps into the midst of our humanity. He becomes human, right? And submits Himself to baptism in order to identify with us as humans. And then number three, I think Jesus does this as a, as a, as a way of being obedient to His Father's will, alright, this is really really critical, I think this is probably the most critical, what, what Jesus has determined to do is to live his life in such a way that is set to fulfill his Father's will he's doing this because his Father his Heavenly Father is calling him to do this, right, so he says Let, it's proper for us to do this, right what does he say? As a, as a, to fulfill what? To fulfill all righteousness. It's an act of righteousness on his part. In other words, he's submitting himself to being obedient to the will of his heavenly Father. And he's going to, to let us know from the very beginning that his life ultimately is one that surrenders to his heavenly Father. And this is the example that we are to follow. In the very same way, this is the call of discipleship. It's about us saying, I'm your God, I am yours. I am your, fill my life with the things that you want. My plans become your plans, my purposes become your purposes, and I'm here to submit my will to your will. See that? <clears throat> the interesting thing is as you read throughout the gospels. Jesus will use the word or the term baptism as a reference to his death. Okay, as a reference to his death. Now, connect this to his desire to be obedient to the will of his Father. But if you look at what he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, he says, I have a baptism to undergo And how distressed I am until it is completed. He's talking about his death and the cross. Mark chapter 10, James and John go to him, of course, with this special request. And when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit at your right and your left. And Jesus says, Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized? with the baptism I am baptized with. He's referring to His death. And so Jesus knows ultimately that He was born to die. But He also knows that His, and don't miss this, if His ministry is going to be all that His Father has designed for it to be, He must fully submit his will to the will of His Father. And that's also true for me and you. Okay? So let me give you kind of a big idea of where we're going. What, what we see taking place at Jesus' baptism is this beautiful picture of the Trinity. One of the few passages, you realize this? One of the few passages in the whole Bible where there is the presence of the Trinity. Right? So Jesus comes down into the Jordan. God the Father speaks, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And of course, the Holy Spirit descends on Him in the form of a dove. It's a picture, a beautiful picture of the Trinity that's present in this passage. And I think that the interesting thing to me is as Jesus prepares now at his baptism to enter into full-time ministry, isn't it fascinating that there, there is the presence of the Holy Spirit? Okay? So in other words, the Holy Spirit now launches him into full-time ministry and the, 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 the Holy Spirit helps him accomplish the ministry that his Heavenly Father has called him to. In other words, I don't think that Jesus can accomplish all that God has intended for Him to accomplish without the presence of the Holy Spirit. It gives Him the fuel to accomplish His ministry on earth. But here's the thing. You and I are no different. And yet we've tried. We've worked harder. Try harder. We've tried more strategies to, to, to live life And to serve in ministry and to serve the kingdom to the exclusion of the Holy Spirit. Why? If Jesus' ministry was inclusive of the Holy Spirit, why would we do otherwise? Why would we want to do otherwise? Because the reality is, the life of discipleship is one that is a life of denial, right? We must deny ourselves. And oftentimes it can be, God can be calling us to a life of suffering in the very same way that ultimately this is the life that he called his son to live. Uh, so just as a reminder, you've got whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Who wants to lo- save their life will lose it. Whoever loses it will, will find it. What good would it be if you gained the whole world yet forfeit your soul? My, here's my point, church. You, we can't do these things without the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be the disciples, the men and women that God is calling us to be, we can't do this on our own. It's impossible. And the beautiful thing is Jesus didn't have to and we didn't either because in Mark 1.10 we see the, this beautiful verse about the Spirit descending on Him like a dove.
2: And this seems to be uh, 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 First John seemed to summarize everything you said it does. before it mm-hmm. says uh, this is the one who came by water <laughs> and by blood mm-hmm. uh, and did not come by water only uh, but by water and blood and it is the spirit who testifies mm-hmm, beautiful um, yeah. John there was talking about people who didn't believe Jesus came in the flesh right. the witness that, that mm-hmm. he is in the
0: flesh it's beautiful thank you for sharing that So the idea that Jesus would be one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit was also the fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, so take a look at this. So a shoot will come up from Jesse, the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch that will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Right, so, at his baptism, as the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, we see the fulfillment of prophecy coming true. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit, now watch this, of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of power, and of knowledge. This is the Holy Spirit that indwells in the, the deity and in the humanity of Jesus Christ. And this is what it's doing as it propels Him into ministry. This is the function of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's the function of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of you and me. Understanding, wisdom, counsel, power, knowledge. It's beautiful. And then of course, Jesus in Luke 4 confirms this the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind set the oppressed free proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your your hearing. Right? you hear what Jesus is saying? I'm affirming that that, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. It's prophesied It was confirmed at the baptism. And it's affirmed in my teaching and in my preaching. So I guess the question is, if Jesus was relying, truly relying on the Holy Spirit to empower Him for ministry, why would we do otherwise? And the beautiful thing is, ultimately we know that we don't have to. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see in here. Okay, so this is Pentecost, Acts chapter two. We know this chapter well. But this is where Jesus Christ, He says, "Wait. Acts chapter 1, wait until you receive the gift from which you will receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, it comes to pass. Of course, repent, baptize everyone in Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, what's true for Jesus at His baptism is also true for me and you. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't have it on the screen, but I love what John the Baptist says. It's just just this idea that says, look, oh, there it is, sorry, verse 26. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the one of whose straps I am not worthy to untie. Verse 29, John chapter 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John chapter 1. Verse 33, I did not know him. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on him is the one who will baptize, there it is, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I I I don't know why, but I I grew up in in a in a heritage and a tradition that was unsure about what it meant to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It It just there you know there was just this fear, this fear that just no, that's just too charismatic. Sounds too much like a Pentecostal. But you can't get away from the idea from Scripture. It's there. It's it's there. And, you know and we we, we have the, in my church, we have this ongoing discussion about who can and who can't do the baptizing and, and as I read Scripture, it seems clear to me that there's really only one who does the baptizing, His name is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. A couple other things I want you to see that are just so beautiful here. Um, Paul, of course, affirms the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. Right? You see the power that the Holy Spirit that empowers us for ministry. So here's something I'd love for you to write down if you're taking notes, uh, because I, I think this is this is really the big idea for me in this in this whole teaching. What could I accomplish if I was confident that God was with me, had empowered me, and loved me? What could I accomplish in life and in ministry if I was confident that God was with me, has empowered me, and loves me? As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. So imagine this scene in your mind's eye. Jesus is in the Jordan being baptized. He comes up out of the water and looks up and he sees the skies, the heavens being ripped apart, being torn apart. Uh, This word torn in Mark's gospel only comes up twice. Right here in Mark chapter 1 and then again in Mark chapter 15 when Jesus is on the cross, and the curtain of the temple is torn. But I think this is also a fulfillment of prophecy, because when you look at Isaiah chapter 64, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. So here's what I think is going on. This is what Mark wants us to see and wants us to know. When Jesus Christ is crucified, the curtain of the temple that separates humankind from the very presence of God is ripped open. And because of the death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we are now ushered into the very presence of God. With it, that God's presence now dwells among us. In other words, God is with us through the person of Jesus Christ. What could you accomplish in life and in ministry if you knew that God was with you? Anything. Yeah. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. wonder what this moment was like for Jesus wonder what this moment was like mm-hmm. you know scholars differ on if everyone there heard the voice if this was a voice that only Jesus heard if, you know it, it's, it's debated but the reality is Jesus Christ heard the voice of his father affirming This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, a lot of times, this is how I think our minds tend to think. As humans, we tend to think that we prove our worth and our value by what we do or what we do not do. By what we do or by by what we don't do. So we work harder, we try harder. And yes, we are committed to living the life of a holy life. Committed to righteousness, okay? But I think sometimes we have this tendency to think or assume that God would be pleased with me, that God would love me, that He would accept me, that He loves me and is pleased with me based on what I do or don't do. Mm -hmm. And the reality is God loves you not because of what you do, but because of who you are as His child. Let me explain it this way. Think about what God is affirming in this, at this place in Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. At this point, He's done nothing by way of being the Son of God. He's, he hasn't begun preaching. He hasn't begun teaching. He hasn't healed anybody. He's not proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's not having interactions with the Pharisees. He's done nothing. And at this point, God, the Heavenly Father, proclaims boldly, This is my Son, whom I love, and with Him I am well pleased. Isn't that amazing? It's just mind-boggling to understand what could you accomplish in life and ministry if you understood, if you truly believed that God was with you that He has empowered you through the Holy Spirit and that He loves you. I, have, uh, I mentioned at the, at the front end of this class that I have three kids. Um, and you know, if you're a parent, there are different scenes that tend to stick in your brain more so than others. Uh, one of those for me is the, the day that they were born. Uh, my son Noah, for example, Noah is 20, uh, 20 years old. He's a sophomore at Adelaide Christian. And I remember the day he was born like it was yesterday. We were living in San Antonio at the time, and it was a Wednesday night. My wife Melanie and I were getting ready to go have dinner before church. And while we were eating dinner at this restaurant in San Antonio, a place called Easy's, burger joint, burgers, shakes, and fries. She started having contractions. And she said, hmm, you know, this is kind of different. So we went to church that night, and contractions continued during church. We got home, and contractions seemed to just be getting worse and worse, and so I did what any good husband would do. I went to bed. I just said, you know, let me know if you need anything. (laughs) Probably about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, she wakes me up and she says, it's time to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And So I said, alright, let's go. So we got in the car, drove downtown to Santa Rosa Hospital in downtown San Antonio. Started texting and started calling and emailing my friends and family and said, "Hey, he's on his way. We're headed to the hospital. Looks like it's the real deal."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: December the 18th, 1997. Mm-hmm. Noah Wiley Offit. Seven pounds, two ounces, mm-hmm. 18 and a half inches long. Big old bald head. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I loved him from second one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I loved him from second one. From the very first second. I loved him. And he had done nothing to earn my life except come out fighting mad because he was mad as pistols that day. He was angry. I mean, he was having a very bad day and he was screaming bloody murder. He was mad. (laughs) And I could not love him anymore. What could you accomplish in life and in ministry if you knew, if you were really confident that God was with you, has empowered you, and that He loves you. What's true for Jesus at His baptism is also true for me and you. So, I don't know about your baptism, but my baptism was pretty ordinary. It wasn't really anything all that extraordinary, but I've spent a lot of time Thinking back on that day, I grew up, I was born and raised in Abilene. I grew up at the Highland Church of Christ. A guy by the name of Lynn Anderson baptized me when I was 14 years old, one Sunday night after church. And the more that I've reflected on that moment, you know, I have to tell you that I probably did not understand all that God was doing in me and through me in that moment. It's kind of weird. It's odd for me because the more that I look back on that moment, that night in front of those few hundred people that had gathered for the Sunday night service, the more that I think back about what God was doing in that moment, even to my unawareness at the age of 14, I realize how much God loves me. You see, what Mark is doing in Mark chapter 1 is the very first verse from the very beginning of this Gospel. This is what he's saying. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. The, the word good news, of course, is this Greek word you ain't right? It's the Gospel. This is the Gospel. In other words, he's saying this book is about the good news of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus Christ has lived the life that you could never live. And Jesus Christ has died the death that you deserve to die. And Jesus Christ has defeated death. And so he's he's saying to us, look, the sin, the shame, the fear, the worry, anything and everything that would prevent you from becoming the child that God truly ultimately calls you, has in store for you, desires for you to be, is done away with in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, comment.
1: Over here. Yes, you mentioned that uh, Jesus before his baptism have done nothing yet. Right. Right. But what I understand in the scriptures that he was lost for three days. Joseph and Mary were looking for him yeah. because they were parents. They were really yeah. concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they found him in the temple right. at the age of 12. I right. don't know how did they come up with that yeah. age. But on that, on that event, the doctors, and maybe there are some parishes and professors or teachers, they were autonomous right. to what is understanding about the scripture right? Sure, absolutely. And for me, at that time, at that age, mm-hmm. knowing the scripture very well, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. El- very eloquent in answering questions mm-hmm. from this teachers. Yeah. And I think he had done something at that time. Oh yeah, I yeah, right. Right. Asked him about uh, because they were tired and sick and really concerned. And he meant Jesus said, "I'm doing my father." business. Right, sure. So right. Mary just keep that to herself. Right. But that's what I understand that before he spoke this thing, he had done something already.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Don't disagree with that at all. I think my point is the baptism of Jesus always stands in Scripture as the beginning of his public ministry. This is the beginning point. But, but that's not to neglect the uh, the conversations that you're referring to. So certainly Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man from the very beginning. Right, yeah. I think one way
2: to think about it is that his baptism at Jordan is the beginning of his death. Yeah, I like that. It's, yeah, it's, that would it's, probably it's, be true for
0: Mark especially. It's you know. actually
2: the initiation of his full surrender to the ministry of God in terms of our atonement. Yeah, I love that. And, and it begins there at his water baptism and culminates in his earth baptism. Mm. His entombment. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think I liked your idea of preparation, right? So this yeah. is Jesus knowing knowing what the surrendering of this means. The term that always gets me is fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. Right? To fulfill the goodness of God for mm-hmm. all of humanity forward and backward. Yeah. Right now, this is this is necessary. Yeah.
1: Love and it. He's saying
2: which the statement says baptism, he says, this is to fulfill
0: righteousness. Mm-hmm. And then on the cross, he says, it's, it's finished. finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love the paint, the picture that you're painting there as Jesus submits himself to that, to his death. Yeah, comment. Like like that, he becomes a successful to Israel. Mm-hmm. He puts the boot, he puts the Israel boots on, and he'll he'll accomplish what Israel needed to accomplish, mm-hmm. what God intended for Israel. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like that. But going back to uh, two comments, one was uh, you
2: know, when you were baptized, it's kind of a normal thing, you know. Later right. on, you reflected upon it. But if you
0: make the comment that our baptism the same as Jesus, then it would have been really nice if, if, if the Holy Spirit would have came down. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm serious. No, you know, yeah, I'm, the same thing in Acts. Right. Well, why don't we have apostles that are, you know, doing miracles, and then and then I don't have to have these questions. I mean, I right. can say, hey, this is really the ministry of. Right. Instead of saying, well, gee, you know, you've got the Holy Spirit, and you, well, if it's like theirs, there is something different than mm-hmm. theirs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it requires mm-hmm. years of reflection to come back to that point. But yeah. But right. there is a difference, I think. Yeah, yeah. so, so in terms of, uh, I think my, my, my initial thought there would, have, would, would, would center on the faith of the believer, of the presence of the Holy Spirit, even though it may not be visible, visibly seen like it was at Jesus' baptism and in, in Acts, certainly. Yeah, certainly. But I think, I think what I see as I read Scripture, that Scripture is confirming that it's present there upon us, that it's present there with us. So, yeah. I think
2: it's cool, I mean, I think I agree with this gentleman that how awesome would that be, right? To see this miraculous thing, but I think to add to that on a practical level, it would be wonderful to include with our baptismal liturgy, as we bring people out of the water to Mm. say, you are a child of God that he loves and with whom he is well pleased.
0: I love that. And just just say the words, I mean,
2: if it's coming from the body of Christ, yeah. It's coming for God. That's beautiful. And you've received the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The Holy Spirit has been poured out on you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Other comments? I have a comment. Yes, sir. About this
1: gentleman mentioned about the death of Christ. Because it keeps ringing my mind when he prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. He's trying to find another way. If there's another way right. to let this cup you know yeah, right. yeah. not me, my but will but yours yes right. so just like what you said mm-hmm. so that that thing in a way it, 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 it bothers me about is that mm-hmm. because he prayed so hard about this mm-hmm. he, he already prepared himself but still he prayed to God and still, yeah. if there's yeah. another way yeah. but there's no other way it's right. the only way sure. to say us all of us. Yeah. All I think. Of my
0: right. You may have come in a few minutes late. At the beginning of class, I set up the idea that Jesus is, in Jesus' baptism, he's doing it as a demonstration of the, being obedient to the will of his Father. Okay? So, and, and, I, and I believe that God was revealing to him that this is what he needs to do as a fulfillment of all righteousness. Okay? Let, let us do this now. If it's proper for us to do this. We should do this. And I, I'm, I'm seeing as I read Scripture that but that is a decision that's in that is in tune with the heavenly father with this father so he's he's submitting himself to a life of obedience through his baptism in the same way that he's doing it his death but no but yeah in terms of the humanity so one of the things that gets difficult for us to sort out is the deity and the humanity of God of Jesus right and so there's no doubt in the humanity side of Jesus and in, in in terms of his humanity he was he was rejecting that because he knew, right, he, knew, he was so overwhelmed to the point of, you know, he was overwhelmed to sweat drops of blood, right, this, this whole idea. But yet, even still, even still, willing to submit that will to his father. Yeah.
2: Do, do you have time for me to unpack the typology? I, I, yeah, Does go ahead. Yep, to... I, got, I got a few so more minutes. One of the other Gospels mentions that, that John is baptizing on the other side of the Jordan. Right. And so I have this, this typology in mind of John the Baptist, even in his, you know, he's wearing the camel hair right. belt and he's eating. He is wilderness living. Right. And here comes the new Joshua uh-huh. to lead his people as the first fruits, to lead his people into the promised land. Mm-hmm. And so here comes Jesus on from the other side of the Jordan through the Jordan River hmm to lead His people into the promised land, that's not a geographical one, right? but a spiritual one. Yeah. And so the Spirit comes to show, this is what I'm leading you to. Mm. This is the promised land that I'm leading you toward. Yeah, it's beautiful. In fact, even in the Old Testament, obviously the name Joshua the Lord is the same as the name Jesus, right. it's just a different iteration. And But you also have in the Old Testament, you have Caleb. Mm -hmm. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two among Israel who didn't need to repent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and neither did Jesus need Mm -hmm. repentance. Mm -hmm. And yet, they they wait with the people to lead them into the promised land. And Mm -hmm. so Jesus leads us into the promised land as both Joshua and Caleb. Caleb being of the tribe of Judah, and Joshua being of the tribe of Joseph, Ephraim, but Joseph. And to me, these are. This is. I would add a number four, you know, to your list. Right. That Jesus is is baptized to lead the new people of God Mm. as the new Joshua into the promised land, which is the life of
0: the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that. So here's here's what I hope will happen in your heart today through the Holy Spirit that the that the Holy Spirit would stir inside of you an endearment for your own baptism. That you will look back on that moment when you surrendered your life, your will, to the will of your Heavenly Father. And even though you may not have fully understood everything that God was doing in that moment, that you can look back on that moment now and know that the Trinity was present in that moment. Let me pray over you and then we'll be dismissed. God, Father, I thank You for this class. I thank You for the comments. God, most of all, we thank You for Your Word, O Lord. God, I, I pray that You would send forth Your Holy Spirit, that You would empower us to do things for Your kingdom, not for our glory, but for Yours. To Your name be the glory, Lord. God, we want to see Jesus Christ glorified. Jesus, we want to see You glorified in our lives. God, I pray that You would help us to be people that serve the resurrected King, that share this gospel, this good news of what it means to be restored, to be made right, to be made whole, Before You, our Heavenly Father. God, we love You and we thank You. God, we pray a blessing upon these words. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. I hope you have a great day.